Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for the best book about food. One. <laughs> Nick, in our Well, one of the top several. <laughs> I, I you will not get the best book today because then the next few weeks are going to be pretty much downers. I was going to say one of our three-part food series. I feel like Nick is like, when he said one there, it sounded like he was giving Ian his first warning of the night. <laughs> He's like, all, all right, that's one. Is this our first trilogy? Uh, yeah. Bum, 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 yeah. Bum, it is a period bum, of civil war. Nick and Joe and Ian are locked in a dispute over which is the best book. For some reason, <laughs> Ian McEwen is there. Yeah, is that my favorite trilogy? Um, it might be. I really do love Lord of the Rings. Uh, I remember when I was 19 years old, it was before the <laughs> Matrix trilogy, <laughs> like before the, they turned the Matrix into a trilogy, and I made a list of my favorite movies. And on my favorite movies, I put the Star Wars trilogy, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and preemptively, the Matrix trilogy. <laughs> and, and there's a lot that you could argue about like that, like a trilogy can't be a single item on a list of movies, but... I really missed on that Matrix trilogy. Mm. And now it's going to be a quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. Mm -hmm. Do you know that Douglas Adams calls the Hitchhiker's Guide a trilogy despite there being five books in it? Yes. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> One of many excellent Douglas Adams points in his favor. Joe, did you introduce yourself? Oh, and to help me are two high school English teachers. Oh, hi, Nick. I'm Joe Holshu. I'm a high school English teacher. And if you're looking for a book about food, I brought Anthony Bourdain's 2000 memoir. It's a memoir, Kitchen Confidential. Nick, I think you might have read this one. And my name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I, too, am a high school English teacher. And Nick, if you're looking for a book about food, I brought Anthony Bourdain's book, Kitchen Confidential, which you might have read. Are you serious? <laughs> I don't know Surprise. if this is a... It's your first Thanksgiving mm -hmm. gift. Uh, is the tradition, as you all know, as Litheads know, is on Thanksgiving, we give Nick a gift. And Nick, your first gift is an accidental cop-out episode. Um, I'm, I'm referring to this as ki Kitchen Confidential, Cop-Out Accidental. It's good. I'm I'm glad you had enough time to plan for it there, the Ian, best. to come up with a name for it <laughs> and everything. <laughs> May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs>, <laughs> We're here to fess up, Nick. We made a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, okay. We, as you know, you have a we have an extensive show notes document that you know behind the scenes the litheads never see. Uh, but when we put our books and in never for will. this week, we never attributed who was reading what book. And as a result, Ian and I both read obviously the book that we preferred, which was <laughs> Anthony Bourdain's two thousand memoir, Kitchen Confidential. Which, by the way, is really good. Like really, really. Yeah, there was good. a moment. There was a moment when um, Joe and I were on the call at our last recording session talking about, oh, like, what are you reading for the next episode? And I was like, I'm reading Kitchen Confidential. And Joe's like, oh, oh, no, I am, too. And then there was this moment of, like, both of us sort of baring our teeth at each other and snarling because mm -hmm. neither of us wanted to give it up. Right. Neither of us was going to do the polite thing and say, oh, no, you can have it. 
So we both have it, which means neither. So, of us so have much it. has just happened. First off, um, you both shared two completely opposite backstories on this situation, <laughs> uh, both diametrically opposed. The other is that I'm staring at this uh, Google Doc in which we organize all of our episodes, and I see the other book. I'm staring yeah, at the there, other there book of book what to expect. There. So at some point, you both looked at both book options and went full hog in that you were doing the one that you thought you were going to do. Yeah, which is crazy because like we are the it ones crazy. that type those book options in. So that means one of us, I'm not saying who, maybe Ian, probably Ian, maybe me, <laughs> I don't know. But one of us typed in the title of the other book and then was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to read Kitchen Confidential. I'll just I mean, go ahead and say I, I, I've never heard of the other book on that list. So oh, I mean, there's no oh. way it was Ian. It was definitely Joe who typed no, that wait, in and wait, then wait, forgot wait, about wait. it. Oh, <laughs> For yes. sure it was Joe. I totally disagree. Okay, here's the thing. It does seem a lot like a mistake I would make. I give you that. <laughs> yes. But I don't think that my, I did You it. give me my only point? Thank you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... But And here's the thing. I don't think I did it. But if I did it, I'm glad I did because this book was awesome and i'm so happy i read it <laughs> i speaking of if i did it i have some book news to spread oil on these troubled waters um you guys know that we always do a book news moment here and i saw some yeah, book news segment. which i think I is love pretty book interesting book news, book news. Um, so there is a a publishing house called penguin random house mm-hmm. um which, small guys yeah. little boutique house bunch of different imprints including random house and penguin um this is, I didn't know this, but Penguin Random House PRH is the world's third largest publisher. Which is crazy because it's run by penguins. Is that yeah. correct? I, like, I, I, I don't know how they've managed to do it, but those beaks are like multi-tools. Anyway, I like that they um, look like they're wearing suits. Oh yeah, very oh, professional. that's why. That's the best part about the penguins, I, um, I think. So Penguin Random House is this heavyweight and they're trying to acquire Simon & Schuster, which is another large imprint and uh if this uh, uh acquiring acquirement if this goes acquisition through, uh the Ooh, two largest the publishers term. in the world will have two-thirds of the market share so basically like authors will have no choice they'll they'll kind of have oh, to go no. with what the publishers dictate and so the department of justice is suing to block this love it um doj is getting involved to say we're going to protect authors i guess or um, break We're up protect trust. somebody yeah yeah there there will be some <laughs> protection going on there'll be some suing going on i really hope the penguins get called to the the stand because that would just be so adorable and hilarious you know the funny visual about like um a penguin that's like a board executive is that it, he's not really like even wearing a suit you know what i mean he's already in it yep. so yep. he's got maybe a cigar oh a top hat monocle i could see that um yeah I, I also like the idea of a penguin being like at the what do you call the spot where the witness sits? Like it's just the box or the like stand. the dock. The stand. He's in the dock. He's in the dock. I like the idea of a penguin sitting there and then being like, Wah! right? Like no. Hmm. Interesting. That's good. You it's really good painted image. a word picture for us there. Yeah, Thank I you. love the addition of everything you just said. So, um, great. Well, I love that whenever we do like a um, like a series, we always screw it up. Right out of the gate. <laughs> right out of the gate. Yes. Our first trilogy, Biff the Biff the episode one. Yeah. I don't think this is a Biff. This is honestly one of the most remarkable books I've ever read. And I'm eager to talk about it with you too. Both of you, both of you have read this. This this does not always happen, but Mm-mm. everyone here knows what's up with this book, and I'm excited to talk about that. Right. Well, everybody perhaps except our litheads. Uh Ooh. so welcome, litheads. 
Uh, do you do not know lit or you don't know lit if you're short on time and uh, where every week, uh, typically every week, except for this one, apparently we pick a theme and Joe and Ian bring a book to squabble over. Um, and just to piss him off, we pick a winner. <laughs> um, but that won't happen this week because we've all read this book and it's quite good. So if you know, you're into, you know, food and you'd like to know about cooking and uh, what kitchens are probably really like, although they're not really kind of like that anymore. Mm. It's, um, mm. I think it's changed a lot. Is there been a lot of cracking down? Because there's some antics in this book. Nick. Well, social media really changed kitchens. <laughs> and actually, Anthony Bourdain also really changed kitchens, <laughs> um, oh, whether that's what he wanted to do or not. Anyway, um, oh, what was I saying? I, I don't know where that sentence started. Do we have any rules? Mm-hmm. Um, not on cop out episodes. <laughs> Clearly rules are out the window. Uh, you didn't give us a chance to say that it's a weekly strongly podcast, Nick. If you could just yeah. say it's a weekly podcast, then we can make the joke. Will it bother you if I don't? I mean, I, I don't really care, but I, I think, think some it of the does really look. He'll be writing it. it down on a piece of paper the rest of the episode. Maybe that should of, be, maybe that like every episode, there's kind of an, a, 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 a suspense who will win. In this episode, maybe the suspense is, will Nick ever say strongly podcast? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, for Joe's satisfaction, uh, a, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast. As we call it, strongly podcast. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I, you know, we're not liars, right? So we just need to let everybody know that it is a strong podcast. Um, so, uh, but more so I'm not sure. It is a strongly podcast. Strongly podcast, adverbial, yeah. Which makes less sense. No sense. <laughs> makes no sense. Um, okay, great. Well, uh, who wants to start? Tell us who, who I think we should, I think we need to talk about the author first. I think we need to do the. Is there the anything, unison. this guy is extremely popular. I think probably at least a dozen people have read this book. <laughs> I, I'm wondering, do you guys have anything to share that maybe people don't know about the author? Does, oh, doesn't everybody know about Anthony Bourdain? Stuff. Yeah. He's pretty famous. I, I have I have just a couple things that I like about Anthony Bourdain. If if you want to know about Anthony Bourdain, you could read this book read because this book, a yeah. huge part of it is memoir. It actually reminded me a lot of the Stephen King on writing book, right? Like where mm. it was kind of I've brought, heard of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> um, where it came to you in sections, right? Like certain things were straight up yeah. memoir, where it's about like I then I worked in this kitchen and I had this boss and this boss was awesome and I was overworked. And then like certain parts are. This is what I've learned about the restaurant industry. Let me give you 10 tips for dining out. So and then and then elsewhere he's like if you want to cook at home, you need these pots and these pans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. it really was. It was it was a really nice blend of like this is my life story and here's some tips and tricks. I think I think there's something freeing about like you don't have to have a master narrative. Like the master narrative is like I'm showing you the underbelly, the culinary underbelly, but that's it. Like he's not trying to to make a bigger point about the universe or something. It's just like I know some stuff. I'm going to kind of throw it at you. Yeah. Yeah. So that, uh, this is the, I think the most interesting thing I learned is that this book started as an unsolicited essay to the New Yorker that Anthony Bourdain, Bourdain, I sent in. Um, He sent the New Yorker an essay. They did not ask for it, but he's like, "Ah, I think I want to get published in the New Yorker. He sent him one called Don't Eat Before Reading This and kind of miraculously, I guess maybe not miraculously, this is a really good book. They published it. They're like, hey, this cook chef guy sent us an essay. <laughs> I can write. It's pretty good. We should well, publish it. And that moment, that happened in 1999. And at the time, Anthony Bourdain was a 
chef. Like he, he was working in kitchens. He was a chef. And that moment really launched his literary and then, you know, television and public, public career. But, but he had, he talks about this a little bit in the book. He had been writing since 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Which is fairly early in his sort of chef career. He talks about like the, the Providence town stuff um, is like mid late seventies. So maybe mid mid seventies, I guess. So, but he, he starts, he starts doing his unsolicited um, submissions to literary magazines um, in the eighties. So mm-hmm. by the time 99 rolls around, he kind of finally hits it big. He had two novels already published, which had not yeah. performed well. So he, he clearly was like, he had his fingers in a lot of pies. Right. He was, he was licking his chops the whole time, oh, right? Boy. Like cutting mm. his chops. Um, maybe, maybe we should try to like string together a, like the events of Anthony Bourdain's life, at least in a broad way. Like he, it, mm, I don't know how to do this though. Cause I Let's, actually don't I, remember. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> yep. Joe, you can take sort of like narrative events and then I will mm-hmm. just kind of say the word drugs, 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 drugs in, in the background. Oh, or, or, because, or you could say swears too, if you want. Yeah. I'll throw some swears in there because like, that's kind of what it is. He has a he has a, a career arc, but the the sort of common denominator in the background until he gets hit by a car in Maine is <laughs> oh wait, no, wrong guy. Um yeah. but like this is kind of the 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 current that runs under yeah, I'm gonna say like two thirds of this book. Yeah, yeah. So Anthony Bourdain, he grows up like he starts low in cooking. He talks about in one of the early kitchens that he works in, what do they call Mel for for like bad meat or something like that. Yeah. He starts out like at the bottom of the cooking ladder. Um, He starts out in Providence, Rhode Island. Is that where he first starts working? Mm -hmm. Which is like a resort town. Everybody there like kind of that he works with came there and stayed. Um, He kind of sucks at it. He tells a great story early on where he's working on a line and um, he burns himself and he asks for some burn cream <laughs> and, and the chef, the, the guy who's on the line with him, the line cook um, like looks at him and shows him his hands, which Anthony Bourdain describes as just like these incredibly disfigured, burned water blistered hands. <laughs> and then that line cook proceeds to take the hot pan that Anthony Bourdain had just burned himself on off the burner with just his bare hand and move it over. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you it's can't brutal. have burn cream. Uh, Joseph mm-hmm. uh, and Ian, I suppose, yes. um, as I think the only one on this podcast who has worked in professional kitchens for 10 plus years, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, could I just add some kind of color commentary? Uh, oh, I we wish would love you it, would. Nick. I have a question on oh. here. I have a question in my um, notes that say, how much of this tracked for you? So, yes, mm-hmm. throughout, please. First off, just get a quick look up if color commentary is racist. I don't I do, do, I think do. they still call it that. I, I appreciate your sensitivity, Nick, but I do not believe it is. Oh, oh my. I, I, there are so many other things that sound so much more innocent that are so much more offensive than that. Like master bedroom. Oh, I recently learned that the origin for handicap mm-hmm. is un- unbelievably offensive oh. like that that word is like the ter- the term handicap yeah it's uh it came from hand and cap from like beggars oh no and you know hun- <laughs> yeah no, and it was like a really? term for like yeah people who had were homeless who were obviously handicapped that's what they would call them hand and cap the term color refers to levity and insight provided by a secondary announcer so if it's Ooh, kind of like, being broadcast that's a colorful and white, character you're you're in there throwing like you're putting the orange on the ball you're putting the green on the costumes what are those is that what they call them sports costumes 
What's your co- what's your color commentary on Anthony Bourdain and oh, burnt hands? Ooh, spot on. Uh, the, uh, if you want to see the ugliest hands <laughs> oh, no. in the world, just go into any kitchen, any real kitchen, and you. Sh- oh my goodness. Yeah, it looks like somebody. Most people's hands, I feel like it looks like somebody put put their hands into a wood chipper. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> just like raw beef is it because of all the knives yeah you cut yourself all the time you burn yourself all the time yeah you're touching hot stuff constantly he does tell like he's like look i finally got this guy's hands like yeah. like i'm yeah. sitting here right now i'm 40 years old i don't know how old he was in 2000 probably not 40 40, 43, um, he's yeah. like 40, 43 and he's like i have this guy's hands and he has just like a paragraph where he goes through like a tour of his hands he talks about his calluses he talks about his blisters um i actually really like it he has one callus along his finger where he holds his chef's knife all the time like where the handle of his chef's knife rests rests and he says i out of all the scars and burns on my hand this one is my favorite because this (laughs) one shows that like i'm actually doing the work like i'm actually like i'm not just like the executive out there like telling other people what to do right. like i'm chopping onions with everybody else yeah. i'm using my knives yet um this book has a lot of pleasant it's got a lot of beauty in it but it's also got a lot of unpleasant stuff and i think the balance between those two is really fascinating there's a ton of good food in this book i googled so many french words and i found so <laughs> many dishes that i would love to make but i'm too much of a coward like th- this this is incredible and bourdain loves food and he's pretty good at transmitting this love to us, um, the readers. So there's a lot of good kind of beautiful stuff here in this book. You know, I actually have a game that I brought this oh, week that I think... Say it with a little confidence, Joe. Yeah, well, I think I it walks that game. line pretty well. It was weird because are you... Sh- do you have a game? Well, okay, it is a game. <laughs> it, it's definitely it? a game. It's a fill-in-the-blank game, okay? Okay, yeah, um, that's a game. Yep, it's a fill-in-the-blank game. And what I've done is I've called this game Rhymes You Might Hear in a Kitchen. Rhymes You Might Hear in a Kitchen. And what I've done is I've composed a handful of very small poems, right? Just very short little poems. Um, And then you have to fill in the blank. And the blanks will, of course, rhyme with something that has come before it, right? So, um, and what I think makes this game kind of fun is I think like Ian is talking about here, is it walks the line between these pretty little things and incredibly ugly and vulgar uh, moments. So, rhymes heard in the kitchen. Here we go. This very first one is very, very short. The kitchen's thick and full of strife, so don't touch my blank and don't touch my blank. The kitchen's thick and full of strife, don't touch my blank, don't touch my blank. Wait. What goes in those blanks? Hang on, Joe. I'm sorry. I got to mm-hmm. rewind the train on this game. Are we supposed to guess these? Because I've read the book, and so is yeah. Nick. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, yeah. I think you... Well, Nick, how about you try to guess first? I certainly <laughs> haven't read it uh, frequent, uh, recently enough to be able to quote it, so... I may I may have a better chance at um, actually honestly playing this okay, game. Okay, because I know, I, know, I know the answer to both of these. Sorry. <laughs> right. Is it... It's the last one's got to be knife. The it's last two one different is words, definitely though? knife. Yeah. So the kitchen's okay. thick and full of strife. Don't touch my blank. Don't touch my knife. Uh, I am going to go ahead and say like cutting board, like board. Don't touch my board. Don't touch my knife. Um, it, uh, that is not the correct answer, although it does, I think, fit with the rules of the game. Um, Ian, do you want to fill this one in or would you like me to? You can go ahead. Yeah, there's going to be some swears in this game. We're going to earn that explicit rating this week. Um, 
the kitchen's thick and full of strife. Don't touch my dick. Don't touch my knife is <laughs> okay. what you might say to somebody <laughs> who touches your knife. Um, this poem's a little bit longer. I've diced my onions perfectly. I've chopped my chives with care. I've arranged my station carefully. Everything is there. So don't touch my onions or my chives. Don't move my demi-glas. Uh, keep your fingers to yourself. Don't touch my blank, blank, blank. This is, I, f- I feel like we're playing Dr. Seuss, like a mm. rated R Dr. <laughs> yeah, Seuss. Yeah, it kind of is a rated R Dr. Seuss. So yeah, so uh, I'm going to need to hear this one more time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've diced my onions perfectly. I've chopped my chives with care. I've arranged my station carefully. Everything is there. So don't touch my onions or my chives. Don't move my demi-glas. Keep your fingers to yourself. Don't touch my blank, blank, blank. This one's harder, Joe. <laughs> it, I'll give you a clue, Nick. <laughs> it's French. It's a three-word French term that rhymes with demi-glas. Okay. Well, the last part rhymes with demi-glas. <gasps> mise en place. Yep, mise en place. <laughs> yes. Don't move my demi-glas. Keep your fingers to yourself. Don't touch my mise en place. Joe, why don't you explain what mise en place are? Nick, why don't you explain what mise Great en place call. are? You're the expert. Uno reverso. <laughs> Um, oh man, I don't know the exact translation, so that's not a great start for an explanation, but I will tell you, it's when you, um, really have everything organized and kind of in its place. Is that what it means? In its place? Something in its place? Yeah, something like like that. that. Uh, it's hard to track with the French. Um, (laughs) so it's basically when you chop up all your onions ahead of time and put them in their own container, their own small little dish, um, that you have to wash later. That's just, you gotta rinse it out. Love it. Yeah. And it's it, it's all like, like the squared away so that you can. Oh, yeah. Just, it's like perfectly organized. So you just plunk, plunk it in the pot. Like suited specifically for that chef and the, or that cook and that cook station, right? Like everybody's oui. in charge of their own mise. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Wee oui, wee. Oui. All right. I've got two more of these. They were actually really hard to, to write. So, <laughs> so, like so to I would them. like to do them both. <laughs> uh, okay. This, this one speaks to some of the unsavory characters that work in kitchens. Uh, Bourdain might say, You know who cooks? It's mercenaries, refugees and drunks, sneak thieves, pirates, psychopaths, high school dropout punks. But I'll take them any day, you see, when whipping up a feast, because nothing's more annoying than some self-proclaimed blank. I'm sorry if this one's really obvious. <laughs> I don't know what this I don't know. (laughs) You know who cooks? It's mercenaries, refugees, and drunks, sneak thieves, pirates, psychopaths, high school dropout punks, but I'll take them any day you see when whipping up a feast because nothing's more annoying than some self-proclaimed artiste. Which I understand is a That's weird a real pronunciation. On that one, well, but, it, but, it, but it's how he would say <laughs> no, it. It's, you're right. Okay, there's a whole section where he's like, hey, here are the people that you shouldn't hire, the people you shouldn't work with, because and the people who shouldn't run um, uh, restaurants because they're going to fail. Yeah, absolutely. Like he talks about like when he's hiring people and he says, he's like, give me a Mexican dishwasher anyway. I can teach that guy to cook. When you're in an interview and you tell me about how you love the artistic aspects of food, all I hear is a guy that's not going to show up for work on time. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Okay. I've got one more. This one is uh, back to our rated R, uh, our rated yeah. R-ness. Uh, this was said to a waiter. This is said to a waiter. You syphilitic piece of trash back off from my and Carlos griddle or we'll punch two holes inside your neck and touch blank in the blank. 
You syphilitic piece of trash, back off from my and Carlos Griddle or we'll punch two holes inside your neck and touch blank in the blank. It sounds like that was um, bleeped out for for language. Touch, um, <laughs> is, it, is it touch you in the face? <laughs> it is not touch you in the face. Um, the last word, Nick, rhymes with griddle. Is it green eggs and ham? <laughs> I, I give up. I give up. Uh, this this one is touch dicks in the middle, which is just okay. an image that stuck with me. <laughs> All right. My game is finished. Congratulations, Nick. I think you got one of them correct. Um, hey, well, you yep. also got knife. You got knife and me's. So mm-hmm. there we go. Well done. Two, one and a half points. So Joe, one and a half points. Joe's, Joe's game um, really nicely illustrates the way that this, this book, it balances the beauty that I was talking about with like some seriously dreadful behavior. <laughs> with dick touching. Well... <laughs> But like more, more than like more than the crudity, but like some of the stuff he's talking about. And yes, I'm a square, so I find this gross. And he's like clearly less grossed out by it than I am. But some of the stuff he's talking about is legitimately gross, like the bad food handling practices or just Mm -hmm. there's constantly blood spraying around like human blood spraying around the kitchen or a ton, a ton of sexual harassment. So he kind of he talks about this in this way. It's very open. Mm -hmm. He kind of admits that it's icky. It's disarming almost to the point that you start to lose the ick factor. And then something happens and you're like, wait, 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 what? This is horrifying. So I've, I've never really encountered a book that's so honest about the nastiness it presents and yet sort of finds some of the, some of the, some of the, the bad boy swagger. I don't know. Um, it hasn't aged super well. Oh no, no, it hasn't aged super, super well, but I do think like, I think you're onto something with like the honesty that this is presented with, because when he writes about this, like he's very clear, he's like, let me tell you who works in kitchens. Like it's pirates. Like, like that's the word he uses a handful of times. Like pirates work in kitchens and he, he, I'd like it. May I, um, some color color commentary here, please. Yeah. The whole aging thing. It would, he would actually been. It's a shame he's not around because like he would have been good to talk to like like the Me Too movement and all mm. of the terrible things happening in kitchens that has been happening forever that is now coming to light. And sure, there's like no real male voice behind that, which I thought was really interesting. Like there, there was a couple people anyway. Um, color commentary. Yeah. So before Anthony Bourdain, there weren't people didn't go to school to be chefs like that was something that like the tv chef was becoming popular basically when he was around and then Mm -hmm. he kind of catapult catapulted the whole industry into um a different level of like awareness and you know showing the underbelly of the industry and and that was kind of like he he got a lot of attention so in the industry which Um, is interesting like but but back in the day it was like the people working in the kitchen i'm talking the the eighties and before it was convicts, felons, um, mm. illegal immigrants. It still is illegal immigrants. Yeah. Um, a, a certain fringe element is how he describes it. <laughs> like uh, work, kitchen work describes yeah. it, uh, attracts a certain fringe. Yeah. There's probably a lot of words you can use. Um, but people who were literally kind of starting from the bottom and, and there's always like that sense of, well, you could, you know, you could turn your life around or you could, you could, it's like a, it's a trade. So, you know, you could learn the skills enough to improve your life. Well, and one thing that he talks about in kitchens, and, and it's one of the things that I think, you know, we've all worked in restaurants. Um, yeah, I was front of house. I, I know. Uh, I'm sorry, Nick. 
trash. Front front of house trash is what we would call that. (laughs) (laughs) But one of the things that he talks about that I love, and I think it's absolutely true, is he talks about like working in a kitchen is a meritocracy. Like we do not care where you came from. We don't care what tattoos you have. Like we like if you show up for work, if you are reliable, if we can count on you and if you are good at your job, you're going to do just fine here. Like we don't care. And I think like that is really admirable. Like that is really like Mm -hmm. cool and admirable in this. He basically says to succeed as a, in, in, in the restaurant industry, you have to sacrifice mostly everything else. Like, you right. don't see your spouse or your significant other. You ruin your body. You spend like if you're if you're the, the executive chef, you're spending like 17 hours a day there, seven days a week. And I think there's mm-hmm. something like there's something kind of unsustainable about that attitude as well. Like you give yourself to this industry, and I know people love it. I know people feel fulfilled by it. But like at what cost? And he he talks about he has yeah. this really great <laughs> chapter called A Day in the Life where he's walking you through his day he eats so much aspirin like because he's in pain already all the time Mm -hmm. and that just it seems he's not necessarily saying you should do this but he's kind of he does say if you want to succeed in the restaurant industry you kind of have to do this oh you know what we should do Hmm. is probably tell people what the book is about <laughs> okay, I, I yeah, I, I stopped doing this earlier, but basically it tracks Anthony Bourdain's life as he comes up in kitchens. Uh, he starts in Providence where he works in like kind of a tourist town and he's the low man on the totem pole and it follows him as he like moves up the chain a little bit, starts an overpriced catering business with a friend. They decide that they can make it in New York City. He moves to New York. Uh, somewhere in there, he goes to CIA, the Culinary Institute America. of America, um, which at now I think is like a really prestigious institution. But he's like, guys, it really wasn't like that. <laughs> he's like, when I went to it, it, it like nobody like it wasn't a thing. He seems to kind of fall into this niche where he he says he was like the second chef a restaurant would hire. So a restaurant would open with a concept. It would start to fail. The chef would bail and Anthony Bourdain would come in and and it would be lovely to say he came in and saved the day. But for the most part, he's not really a savior. And between the lines is it's basically like he's not Gordon Ramsay, but he's going to get the job done. Yeah, yeah, like, and, he, and and that was his his like his I would say his not his skill level, but the according to the, the book and the restaurants that he worked in, like he he did high volume restaurants right. and like he yeah. he sent out a good meal, but it mm-hmm. wasn't like a tweezers, you know, putting a piece piece of basil on top. Like it was, um, it was it was the I think the steak and potatoes of the restaurant. Yeah, kind yeah of world. well, and Ian talked about it earlier. Like he doesn't talk about himself as an artiste here right like he really says like cook a good cook is a craftsman like it is a skill it can be taught like it matters how reliable you are right like we can teach you everything else and i think that's cool he bounced around a bunch of different restaurants he eventually found one that stuck by the time he writes this book he works at a restaurant that i assume is kind of famous i forget what it's called but it's like a steak and fries place i'm pretty sure it's actually closed now shakers 
that story is interwoven through like something like, I don't know, 25 chapters, 35 chapters, something like that, um, of really one-off essays. So he tells that story, that story appears more or less chronologically, but it shows up as he's writing essays about, let me tell you what warning signs are in restaurant owners. Here's an essay. Here's a chapter on people that open restaurants. Uh, new cha- new chapter, new essay. Let me tell you about the best boss I ever had in the business. And he writes mm-hmm. this like great chapter about this guy called um, oh Bigfoot, Bigfoot, the Bigfoot chapter. Um, so so that's the build of this book. I, I don't think we should say what it is in case somebody's going to read this, but I would say it's the best opening to a book like this ever. Like the the first story, oh yeah, that he tells, I think is like the most jaw dropping. Oh yeah, like it gives you the tone of the book in like the first like as soon as you realize what's happening, (laughs) it's like holy shit, this book is gonna be fucking nuts. Well, you know, there's certain things I. (laughs) There's certain moments I'll tell my wife about, like, I'll just like pause her and I'm like, hey, can I read you something quick? (laughs) You gotta hear this. That was one. Yes. (laughs) Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Teaser, starring Nick Argyris as himself. I used to be a chef. (laughs) Joe Holshue. Joe Holshue as Christopher Walken. Well, I can't do it. Chris. Oh, oh, that was amazing. That was oh, the best thing I've heard all day. Oh, up my ass. Oh, no, hey, that's my that's derivative. That's my fucking joke. Well, okay. <laughs> well, with that awkward segue, uh, Ian, would you like to tell us what book you're going to bring next week for Food 2, the sequel? Um, I'm going to read uh, a very popular book, which I bought a couple of years ago and then still haven't read because I'm a loser. Um, so my book mm. is um, insp- inspired a cooking documentary and published in, or uh, released in 2018. It was re- uh, released in 2017. It's called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, Mastering the Elements of Good Cooking. And it's got pictures and I'm super excited to finally read this dang book. And Nick, I'm going to bring Blood, Bones, and Butter, The Inadvertent Education of a Reluctant Chef by Gabrielle Hamilton. So Bourdain loves cooking and he loves food and he, he narrates, you know, how he got to that point of loving food and stuff. Um, but I think he runs or he, he runs up against the problem that we've had when you love when we love a book. When I, I love Sand County Almanac because I'm passionate about the environment because I've lived in several of the places that Aldo Leopold talks about. It's kind of like this is my frame of reference makes me love this book. And you guys, you might enjoy it, but you not, might not love it the same way I do. And you you have your own things that are like that. I think Bourdain runs up against this issue of like, not everyone is going to have the same relationship to food that he does, but he does a better job of most of saying here's what I love. Here's why I love it. Yes, it's unique to me, but kind of sharing that love with, um, with, with you so that you kind of, it's almost contagious a little bit. You're like, okay, yeah, I can kind of see why if, if, if this was just like, here are all the bonkers things that happen in the restaurant industry, full stop, it would make no sense. You'd be like, why, why is he torturing himself? But the fact that he does a good job of explaining, I love this for these reasons, it helps. It helps clarify. I, I, I can, the, here's what comes to my mind. Mm-hmm. I imagine it doesn't age well in terms of 
everything about it. <laughs> um, and and it it I I imagine it was like I think it offended a large group of people when it came out. I'm sure. Um, he like lights into. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it. Emeril Emeril Lagos Lagras. He really doesn't like Emeril. <laughs> he like yeah. early on. He's like this guy's a chucklehead. Yeah, he's like yeah. I don't need catchphrases. I make food. I well, and I read some analysis of this, and it does talk about. I, I don't know if this book was like written in response to the rise of Food Network stars like Emeril and Rachel Ray, but it was certainly read is that you know like the food network was you know kind of exploding in popularity at the time emerald rachel ray chef celebrity chefs like that mm. and anthony bourdain boy he presents a contrast to those people right where it's like ah, uh, you know yeah, i'm almost this, I'm they're almost selling you a lie <laughs> yep i'm almost reminded of chuck yeager in uh the right stuff where he's like yeah let me tell you what it's really like <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's a good book <laughs> And I like good books. <laughs> That's why we do the podcast. You yeah. should you should read it, Litheads. Um, this is not like somebody has cool stuff to say but says it poorly. He's mm-hmm. pretty he's pretty good at telling his mm-hmm. stories. He's such um, a good writer. And the stories the stories are amazing. But he's also yeah. really good at telling the stories. And he's got yeah all these wonderful little like quotable quotes Ooh. like mm-hmm. vegetarians and their Hezbollah like splinter factions of vegans <laughs> are the enemy of everything good and decent in the human spirit. So like he mm-hmm. he just he says things and they're pithy and they're they're very I can see why he turned into a TV. What else should the litheads do, Ian? Well, litheads, I tell you what, if you if you want to cook yourself up some. Yeah, if you hungry. If you're hungry to nom, click nom, around nom, the nom, internet nom, and do some jobs for on the line cook. Uh, yeah, we didn't do our, our trademark chewing noises in this episode. That's a, <laughs> I'll get some chips. Maybe you can nom, add those nom, in post. Um, Litheads, you should head on over to our social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at You Don't Know Lit. And give us a like, give us a share, tell your friends about us, recommend the page. Um, you could also give us a review on the iTunes store. Uh, we would love five stars over there. Um, tell us just how good we are so we can bask in the glory of that. We need to, or bask. you could head on over to our, um, I've said head on over three times, or you could prance on over to our <laughs> website. <laughs> they could foot on over, leg on over, um, you shoulder can, you on can over. arm your way on over to, mm-hmm. you can strong arm your way on over to our website. You don't, don't know let podcast.com and suggest a theme, uh, or a book or both, or you know what? You can do any or all combinations of these things. And for the next 10 minutes, I'll run through those various permutations. <laughs> so one option is that you start at the website. Oh my God. Can you fucking wrap this up, dude? Why don't you both do Why don't you both do a quote? Remember, there's no rules on this episode. Okay. That's right. We didn't establish that. Lawless. All right. Uh, this is from the this is from the conclusion of the book where he talks about his love of it. He says, "It's been 27 years since I walked into the dreadnought kitchen with my hair halfway down my back, a bad attitude, and a marginal desire to maybe do a little work in return for money. 26 years since my humiliation at Mario's when I looked up at Tyrone's mightily abused claws and I decided that I wanted a pair like that." I don't know who said that every man at 50 gets the face they deserve, but I certainly got the hands I deserve, and I've got a few years to go yet. How much longer am I going to do this? I don't know. I love it, you see. 
I love heating duck confit, Sassian de Canard, confit gizzards, Sassian de Toulouse, poutine and duck fat with those wonderful tarbe beans, spooning it into an earthware crock and sprinkling it with breadcrumbs. I love making those little mountains of chive mashed potatoes, wild mushrooms, riz de veau, a nice tall microgreen salad as garnish, drizzling a perfectly reduced sauce around the plate with my favorite spoon. I enjoy the look on the face of my boss when I do a pot au faux special, the look of sheer delight as he takes the massive bowl of braised hooves, shoulders, and tails in, the simple boiled turnips, potatoes, and carrots looking just right, just the way it should be. I love that look, as I love the look on Pino's face when he gazed upon the perfect spoiled bowl of spaghetti alla chitra, the same look I get when I approach a Scott Bryan dub of beef, a plate of perfect oysters. It's a gaze of wonder, the same look you see on small children's faces when their fathers take them into deep water at the beach, and it's always a beautiful thing. For a moment, or a second, the pinched expressions of the cynical, world-weary, throat-cutting, miserable bastards we've all had to become disappears when we're confronted with something as simple as a plate of food, when we remember what it was that moved us down this road in the first place. Top that, Ian. Okay. This is from uh, one of his final chapters. Ooh, so a little bit further in the book. Interesting, Ian. Good choice. And this this gets to what we're talking about, about the difficulty of describing what you love. Lying in bed, he says, and smoking my sixth or seventh cigarette of the morning. I'm wondering what the hell I'm going to do today. Oh, yeah, I got to write this thing. But that's not work, really, is it? It feels somehow shifty and dishonest making a buck writing. Writing anything is a treason of sorts. Even the cold recitation of facts, which is hardly what I've been up to, is never the thing itself. And the events described are somehow diminished in the telling. A perfect bowl of bouillabaisse, that first all-important oyster plucked from the bassin d'Arcachon. Both are made cheaper, less distinct in my memory once I've written about them. Whether I missed a few other things or described them inadequately are less important. Our movements through time and space seem somehow trivial compared to a heap of boiled meat and broth, the smell of saffron, garlic, fish bones, and pernod. 